Hello and welcome to Pop Screen, part of the Geek Show Podcast Network. We are the Geek Show's show dedicated to the good, the bad and the p- p- peculiar of films, either starring by or about pop stars. You know, the podcast covers such a broad range of musical and cinematic genres, from country and western hip-hop, from documentaries to science fiction. I'm your host, Graham Williamson. I'm a filmmaker and film critic for the Geek Show and for Horrified, the British horror website. And I've been joined this week by... Hello, I am more well known as Prob. I do go by other names. I've been on this place before. I've been here before. I'm sure I've been in this room before. Is this room mine? Am I alive? Is this a near-death experience? No, no, no. Uh, I'm just far less tired than I normally am, and it's it's like having one of those waking dreams, you know, those <laughs> lucid dreams where you have full control of it, but you're not quite sure you're awake. Yes, um... As people already know, those who are regular, um, you know you know who I am, uh, so I'm not going to bother explaining for you. But for everyone else, I am one of the founders of The Geek Show in general, and I have uh, done, well, worn various hats over the years in uh, me- various media criticism circles. And right now, I, I believe I am general dog's body and also general layabout. Um <laughs> Okay, <laughs> I think I think those are the hats I'm currently wearing. Well, you are wearing except, except one for this hat, one, clearly. Yeah, yeah, except except for this one. Yeah, that, that's also a commitment to the bit where you're saying you're wearing various hats while wearing a hat. Well, I mean, I was tempted to wear like two extra hats to just highlight the point, but I thought <laughs> no, then I won't be able to hit the, fit these really nice headphones that I have on my head. That dispensed with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, one of the tragedies of the music industry that has come up time and time again on this show is that as soon as you reach the top, there's nowhere to go but down. And down, of course, is a relative term. By 1988, Michael Jackson was still the biggest pop star in the world. The only person who was bigger was Michael Jackson five years ago when he released Thriller. Nevertheless, Jackson, whose ambition at this point was to be bigger than Elvis, was intensely concerned about any slippage in his status. He decided that if Thriller was helped by a long, lavish, fantastical video, Bad would be boosted by an even more expensive movie-length video. The result was called Moonwalker, and I think it's going to have to be one of those films which we talk through scene by scene, isn't it? Well, see, the first part of it is literally just a collection of music videos interspersed with some... Quasi storyline. The 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 word quasi is carrying a lot of weight there. Yeah, yes. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a there's some claymation, some very racist claymation in some parts. <laughs> oh, racist now claymation, in some parts. Um, there's an evil granny and her evil son who were chasing Michael for his autograph, maybe his soul. Um, yeah. there is. Spike the Rabbit. Um, I, I I wasn't quite sure what the whole claymation bit was about, aside from everybody wants a piece of Michael. Yeah, because that, that this starts off as a concert film, doesn't it? The first thing you see, yeah. he's performing Man in the Mirror. And, you know, yeah. say what you will about Michael Jackson, he was a bit good at the old singing and dancing to Massive Crowds. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, uh, when you're talking about 
stage presence and just stage performance in a live show. He was one of the best, if mm. not the best. And also, I don't know if this is contrarian or not, so I'm going to throw it out there, but is Bad his best album? Because I kind of think it is. Well, it depends. See, I think it depends on personal taste. Mm. I, a lot of people say Thriller is the best album because it's all the most. A lot of people say Bad is the best album because of uh, various tracks. I think Smooth Criminal was on Bad, wasn't it? I think so. Yes, yes, it was, yeah. yeah. So tracks like Smooth Criminal, which I I love that song, mm-hmm. you know, I think and I think the cover of uh, Come Together was on that as well, wasn't it? I'm not sure if it was on the album. Let me just check that. Because um... if it was, then you know, because uh, I love Michael Jackson's cover of Come Together. It wasn't it wasn't on the album, but it is. Was it not? It's in here, and I'm I'm sure there will be some editions yeah. of it which include that. Personally, I liked Off the Wall. I thought Off the Wall was his best album in terms of music. And, you know, it it was that brilliant mesh of pop and disco with a little bit of soul thrown in there as well. Mm. Um, and I liked Bad because it was starting to blend more rock themes in yeah. with the pop music. Um, and I liked the transitions in those two albums. But personally, you know, Off the Wall, I think, was his best album. I think, yeah, I have heard a lot of people make the claim for Off Proper the Wall. Michael Jackson fan here. <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing with Off the Wall is that you can hear some of his Motown roots still in it, which is really appealing. Yeah. Um, I think I like Bad because Bad just has more of a funk influence and I enjoy that. Um, but it, it yeah. depends on what you like, I guess. I mean, there was that thing about the song itself, Bad, and how mm. Michael wasn't supposed to be the person to do it. Wasn't it supposed to be like, um, oh, I've forgotten the name. Was it Prince or someone who was supposed to be it? Well, let me Somebody with a, with more of a... Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, Mike, this is, this is pretty great, this. It wasn't supposed to be a Prince song. It was supposed to be a duet between Jackson and Prince. And uh, Prince later yeah. said... The first, uh, apparently he said to Michael, the first line of that song is, your bus is mine. And I said, who's singing that to who? Because you sure ain't singing that to me, and I sure ain't singing that to you. Yeah, that was it. That was <laughs> it, yeah. Uh, which, I, uh, and he basically went, no. Uh, yeah, that that was it, because I was pretty sure Prince was supposed to be involved in it somewhere. Mm. Um, and yeah, it was supposed to be like a, which one of you is the baddest of the bad kind of mm. thing. But that opening line, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in the in the video, of course, he's singing it to Wesley Snipes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, How about is. that? Well, that's in the proper music video, not in the music video in Moonwalker. Yeah, because after we've had Man in the Mirror and after we've had this kind of I don't know what you'd call it, a kind of... Um, it's like the press kit, isn't it? It's like the world's fanciest press kit where it goes through all of his previous songs and shows you him having hits with the Jackson 5 and him singing Ben and him going solo and him releasing Thriller. And you think, as fun as yeah. this is, as nice a trip down memory lane as it is, I'm pretty sure that the intended audience for a Michael Jackson film know who Michael Jackson is. Yeah, and 
and it was a nice little montage of various um various works by michael jackson and by the mm. jackson five and you know i i i thought yeah it's a nice trip down memory memory lane but it culminated in badder yes yeah badder as it is yeah, officially which, known which is great yeah which which i was like um i'm not sure what i'm i i remember the first time i watched moonwalker mm. and we watched it because my sister was was and still is a near terminal michael jackson fan yeah right she has all sorts of michael jackson stuff and she insisted we watch the film mm. so we watched the film and years later, I'm still scratching my head as to why I watched the film. I appreciate it more a bit. Uh, I appreciate it a bit more now, yeah. I think than I did yeah. then. But I think part of that is because I appreciate the music more now than mm-hmm. I did then. But yeah, and so yeah. Batter, but Batter confused me then, and I'm still confused by it now. Batter is basically like the Bugsy Malone version of the bad video, isn't it? Where they get kids in to like go through the whole thing as as closely as possible. See, that's the thing. I watch it now, uh, and I'm watching. I know I'm watching somebody do a version of bad, but in my head, I'm like, we could have been anything that we wanted to be. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. But in a way, I think Bad of his kind of inspired because when Bad came out, one of the most common critical responses was, you know, Michael's trying to act tough. He's seeing the way that the wind's blowing with, you know, hip hop starting to get in the charts and music in general yeah. going for a sort of tougher, edgier vibe. And he's trying to do that. And, and they said at the time, he can't do that. He's not threatening. And it's like, yeah, but in a strange way, that's why it's easier to take. I mean, a song like Dirty Diana, if Motley Crue sang that, you'd want to fucking punch them. But yeah. when it's Michael Jackson, there's something harmless about it. Like, he actually sounds like he's a bit scared by this woman. And it just takes yeah. the edge off it in a way that actually doesn't register as a mistake now. It actually makes it fun. Yeah, and the other thing I think about um, songs like Dirty Diana, they are this really good blend of rock and pop. Yeah. Um, I think it was... Dirty Diana was... I watched a a thing recently about... um, What was it? Uh, About Sugar Babes, right? Mm. Yeah. About um, their their song, uh, Freak Like Me. Mm. And about how that changed the face of British pop for yeah. even now and it was because of a producer from a single producer from the north of England who were doing who was doing these mashups of modern pop music with 80s synth pop Richard X wasn't and it? so Richard X yeah that was it mm. and uh, so um he you know his only major hit was freak like me for the sugar yeah. babes and then he kind of disappeared because he didn't want to be a superstar producer but I thought the journey, you know, his journey with what he was doing um, kind of mirrored what happened with Dirty Diana a little bit. Right. It, it culminated in this really good blend of rock and pop that happened kind of there. And mm. 
a lot of people, a lot of pop artists listened to Dirty Diana and went, do you know, we never realised you could do it like that. Yeah, especially since back in the late 80s, the boundary lines between rock and pop music are pretty, like, dramatically drawn. It's not a situation now where yeah. someone like... You can have someone like Rostam from Vampire Weekend who goes from being in this exactly. Brooklyn indie band to producing songs for all manner of pop stars. There is no career yeah. equivalent to that back then. Yeah, exactly. Um, and being a child of that time, you know, I know how clearly those dividing lines were. Mm. And you had things like Aerosmith and Run DMC crossing the boundaries in certain ways. But you still knew that this was them to kind of mashing together their sounds. It yeah. wasn't an actual blend, whereas Dirty Diana was a proper blend. Yeah, you know? it is. Yeah, it was a proper blend of music, which is uh, which is the bizarre thing. And uh, because of that, it kind of changed a lot of a lot of viewpoints about rock music and about pop music and about how you could work musically. Because this is, this is the same either where MTV is still struggling with the question of can black people make good music? You know, in MTV's yeah. offices, the jury is still out on this question somehow. So, yeah, yeah. for that to happen is incredible. Uh, there's a clear link from, uh, from Dirty Diana to um, the song that Michael Jackson did much later on with his sister, Scream. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. You know, there's a clear line of thought from that, from one to the other. But we won't go into that because we are talking about Moonwalker, which has a very different line of thought. We won't go into that because the next bit after you have seen the scene of, of children recreating the video to Bad, which I mean, that yeah. is an extraordinary video in many ways because the prestige of it is amazing. I know he'd already got John Landis to direct the thriller video, and that's that's big. Yeah. You know, that's back when John Landis was like Spielberg big. But yeah. Bad the Video is written by Richard Prince and directed by Martin Scorsese. And yep. you, you sort of think that that's insane for a start. But the fact that you were now parodying it with little kids is really weird. I know um, uh, Martin Scorsese film. Any Martin Scorsese film that you want to that you want to name, off the top of your head. Last Temptation of Christ. Now do that with kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I. I see. When I said that, I thought, oh, no, you probably wanted me to say one of the bigger ones. But actually, that's the perfect one, isn't it? That's the worst possible one. Exactly. Because <laughs> <laughs> that is basically the badder music video, isn't it? It is. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> yes, oh, dear, indeed. So we go from this and then the the... the... See if I'm getting the transition right here, because this is a genuine challenge. He goes out of the studio door. Yeah. And he, they just become adults. That's it. And I don't yeah. know, is that some commentary on how, you know, when he's making art, it re returns him to childhood? I, I don't know. Maybe it is. I mm. honestly couldn't say. Um, I All I know is that they go through the door, he was a kid, now he's an adult, and mm. they're looking round, and all of a sudden, you have these claymation fans all screaming for his blood. 
And I'm like, oh my god. And he's running around the studio complex. And you, I can't tell if he's scared or if he's having... I mean, there's, there's certain shots of him where he's clearly laughing his ass off. Mm, and there's yeah. certain shots of him where he's looking quite terrified. Mm. I'm like, so are you scared or not, Michael? What's going on? Is there something you're not telling us? I think buried very, very deep under this sequence is one of the original texts of pop music cinema, isn't it? Because this is mm. this is kind of like the Hard Day's Night scene. It's kind of like the Beatles running away from the schoolgirls. And yeah. A Hard Day's Night is not a realistic narrative in a lot of ways, but it you can sort of tell what level of reality it's on. You can say... All right, the schoolgirls love the Beatles, and the Beatles need to get away so they can record this TV appearance. Right, fine, makes sense. As you say, that this sequence, it, it it is both hard to tell whether Jackson is enjoying this or not, and it is hard to tell whether the claymation people like him or not, or whether they've just gone into some sort of weird, angry frenzy at the sight of him. Or if it's some kind of demonic possession thing, which it looks like in some cases, um, the <laughs> the portrayal of the uh, of the uh, Asian tourists has not gone down. That has not aged well. It really hasn't, hasn't it? Because he even gives them the little sort of ding 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 sting yeah, on the soundtrack. Exactly. It's it, it's it's not aged well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, that then leads to uh, Speed Demon, which is a bizarre Michael Jackson track. It is, isn't it? I mean, apparently the inspiration was nothing more complex than he had been pulled over for speeding when he was on his way to the recording studio. And that's it. But yeah, I, I think it's it's the fact that it's so kind of empty in that sense that makes you read different things into it. Because it, uh, sonically, I like it. Sonically, I think yeah. it's quite underrated. But y- you do end it thinking, oh, like, every other song on this album is about either being tough or liking a woman. And this is about... Well, it's about being a giant claymation bunny in this version, isn't it? Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's one of the, right, okay, see, when Speed Demon starts, um, I thought, okay, I wonder what this is, I mean, uh, this is after he's been chased by, uh, into, a, like, a changing room by a, a, a director who looks like Steven Spielberg, Moffin, who's turned into some kind of alien dragon type creature, and a bunch of press, and some cowboys from a cowboy movie. Yes, can, we, that's can when we go into that for a second? Because yes. my understanding of the Jackson-Spielberg relationship is that they were still pretty tight at this point. They fell out, if memory serves, when Spielberg refused to consider Jackson for the part of Peter Pan in Hook. Yeah. Um, which I kind of understand why he didn't want Jackson in that role. Mm, yes, yeah. You know, it makes a lot of sense as to why Jackson wouldn't have worked in that role. Too much baggage. Well, no, I think it's just basically when uh, Michael Jackson um, 
Michael Jackson was kind of the he was the boy that didn't grow up. Mm. So there's no point in him playing that role in Hook because in Hook, the role is the boy grew up, became a man and had his own family. Uh, And Jackson at that point, Jackson at that point still hadn't reached that point. Mm. He didn't. And even later in life, he, he probably still didn't fully comprehend a lot of things that maybe come as normal for us, but that's part, part of that is because of, all the stuff that happened while he was growing up. But we're yeah. not going to go into the psychology of that. Um, sticking with speed, Damon, uh, let's go into the psychology of morphing into Sylvester Stallone and Tina Turner and Pee Wee Herman. Now, I mean, <laughs> I, I was aware during a Michael Jackson episode that there would have to be some things that happened later that we would talk around, but I was not expecting Pee Wee Herman to be one of them. Like that, that <laughs> we talked about the Japanese tourist bit not aging well, but that yeah. now is not an association you would want to make for yourself. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's. <clears throat> And the bike changes as well. You know, jackhammer, stop sign, water ski, jetpack. Fair enough. And I can kind of understand Sylvester Stallone and Tina Turner, but Pee Wee Herman is not noted for speed. In any no, way. that's pretty true. Yeah, yeah, he's just got that little bicycle. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I can, Im- I can imagine Tina Turner putting on something like not much sitting limits and just driving along. I can yeah. I can imagine something like that. I can imagine, you know, Sylvester Stallone in in his uh you know, where in his younger days just tearing along the motorway or the mm. highway in America, you know, in some car and just enjoying himself. Especially after Rocky wins like the Oscar or something like that. He's like, Yeah, yes. I'm king of the world yeah. <laughs> But it's one it's one of those things, isn't it, where it is like the the animation equivalent of a hack impressionist who is just going, hmm, I wonder what this celebrity would say about that. I think he'd say and then you'd just like launch into an impersonation of whoever's big now on the flimsiest pretext. Oh, it's the whole thing is is very, very confusing. Especially when he takes off the rabbit costume. Mm, yeah. And then is challenged to a dance-off by the rabbit costume. Yes, it comes to life. It is actually sentient. It is like, and this is a, a reference point that I'm sure all of our listeners will understand completely, it's like those bits in the Doctor Who story, Ghost Light, where Ian Hogg's character not only sheds his skin, but the shed skin can come to life and is a like a sentient being of its own. It's exactly like that. Which means he was wearing another creature, another creature that was still alive. Yeah. You know, this see, this is where you get into the bizarre psychology of this entire section. <laughs> he's he's um, skinned it and he's wearing his suit just like Judy Dench in Cats has skinned loads of other cats and is wearing them as a coat. It's it's like that. Well, not quite, because he wasn't the one who skinned it. He found it. I suppose, I mean, yeah, it's... Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll get we have no cats on a different episode. I'm looking forward to that, but yes, I, yeah, I, 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 ref, I, re, I refuse. You can choose someone else for that one, <laughs> <laughs> unless it's the butthole cut. I am not involved. 
<laughs> but yeah, the, he, he takes off his rabbit suit, and the fact, you know, the fact that at some point someone thought, okay, we need to animate a segment in a Michael Jackson movie, and it's all about Michael Jackson. So first idea is we dress him up as a rabbit. Is it? I can kind of follow that. Okay. Rabbits are fast, I guess. It's got that. Kind of, yes. And kind of, no. Hmm. All right. I have to go back into the depths of my childhood memories for this. <laughs> Moonwalker, Um. I, I, I'm just going to check on the dates of a particular thing, right? Okay. Um, um, yes, Moonwalker came out in 19... Was it 1998? 88. No, 1988, sorry. Yeah. Right. Three years earlier, um, you had a film, uh, an American animated film called Star Chaser, The Legend of Orin, right? Okay. Which was an American... Which was a uh, an animated science fiction film where they basically played around with the whole Star Wars idea and it was the first time i'd ever heard anyone swear in an animated film uh yes you never forget that because uh there's uh there's a scene where uh one of the characters he says to his ship uh blast those bastards and i'm like wow but then a year (laughs) after that a year after that fred wolf and uh nobutaka nishizawa released another animated film called the Amer- the adventures of the american rabbit right which was a claymation film about a super rabbit in america okay it, it it was it was this bizarre film that came around at the do you did you ever see the tom thumb animated film the claymation one uh, the adventures of no, tom I've, thumb i've heard about this but no i haven't seen it that's from around the same era uh, that we're talking about. I'm thinking that the choice of rabbit may have something to do with the claymation stuff or the claymation uh, stuff that made it big in America at that point. Because Perhaps. when I look at the rabbit head for Spike, it immediately reminded me of the American Rabbit movie. Mm. Yeah, they might have shared personnel because I can't imagine there were that many claymation animators in America at this point. I seriously doubt it. Yeah. Um, It's a very, very specialised section of animation. And I don't know, if Clubhouse Pictures was involved in Moonwalker in any way, then, yeah, it would have been a direct influence, so... Well, the, actual, the the people who did it, it was Will Vinton Studios, who were probably most famous for the California Raisins show. However, yeah. they have another credit that is directly referenced here, and that, like Pee Wee Herman, just has this strange aura to it when you're watching it back now, which they can't have predicted. Because one of the people chasing Jackson is... Uh, the mascot at the time for Domino's Pizzas, the Noid, who Will Vinton created. If, really? If, if you're confused, now it gets worse. The thing is, <laughs> okay. shortly after Moonwalk came out, I think it was about 89, 90, um, Domino's had to retire the Noid because... 
the idea of the commercials was that the tagline was avoid the noid and the noid is like this guy in a red jumper suit who runs around town trying to prevent pizza deliveries and so that you can see a sort of logic here it's Finton tipping the hat to himself it's a character who is famous for chasing things who is now chasing Jackson the problem is there was a man suffering from a, a sort of paranoid delusion uh, whose name was Kenneth Lamar Noid. And he got it into his head that Domino's Pizzas were making this entire campaign to attack and mock him. And he ended up taking hostages because of this. Wow. wow. And it's the... It's kind of tragic and comic at the same time, but you know, not on the Shakespearean level. I'm talking like ancient Greek level, you know, comic tragedy. Yes, it does. It does always make me think that story that if it did not involve a trademarked advertising character, there would be a pretty great Dog Day Afternoon style movie about that by now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, give it time when the trademark runs out. So yeah, that that happens. I mean, but... we know what Hollywood's like. <laughs> the spike scene ends in the most bizarre way, too. Like even more bizarre than this rabbit yeah. costume coming to life. It's very, it's very Looney Tunes the way the way it ends. It's very, I, I don't know, it has a kind of folklore aspect to it. Maybe it's just because I've been like deep into reading about folk horror and folk culture recently. But it seems yeah. to endorse the idea, that the, the sort of Romano-British idea, that every place has its guardian spirit. And in the California desert, the guardian spirit, the genius loci, is Spike the Rabbit. Who just lives in the landscape now? Yeah, um, there is that. I mean, uh, uh, I was more referring to the appearance of the uh, of the copper and the <laughs> no dancing zone. Yes, yeah, um, that is good. I, I, I this this is this is the difference in like how our brains are working at the moment. <laughs> Graham's brain is working on this higher level here, dealing with folklore and things like that. I'm here, Looney Tunes. Looney Tunes at this level. <laughs> but that's what they're going for, right? That surely the idea. Let's make Michael Jackson into a kind of Looney Tunes character. Yeah. Um, and I thought, actually, the fact, it kind of makes sense when you think about it. They mm. went with Badder, where he's basically a child, and mm. then they did uh, Speed Demon, where he's a cartoon character, and then they did Leave Me Alone. Ah, leave me alone, or as I know it, Dark Horse Candidate for the best Michael Jackson song. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I I think Leave Me Alone, I remember when it came out and it actually made the news. Yeah. Um, People in, it actually made um, international news because it was a direct commentary on uh, the way the press was dealing with Michael Jackson. And the entire song was literally him going, "Just stay out my stay out my life. Don't yeah. Just you know, go away. Leave me alone. I mean, the, it's the clue is in the title. The clue is in the title of the song, and 
a lot of the um, iconography in the video. Stuff like the elephant man and him being attached to a ball and chain and the cages everywhere. It's yes. all referencing the way the press was looking at Michael Jackson like he was some kind of newsworthy piece of meat. And mm. every move he made had to be analysed fully. And that's a strange one, isn't it? Because you, you've had, in terms of where it comes in the movie, you've had all the performance footage and the music videos at the start. Mm. You've had Batter, which feels like a bridge from the music video stuff into the more narrative stuff. And then you've had this completely yeah. original sequence of Speed Demon. But Leave Me Alone is just the video to leave me alone, isn't it? Yeah. And I think... I think that it was uh, it was a very odd choice to just have it as the video to leave me alone, mm. but it also makes sense given the given Badder and Speed Demon, and there is a, there is kind of a train of thought running through the running through all three, mm. um, especially with all of the tour, tourists and the and the fans and the press hounding him in Speed Demon, yeah, and the way yeah. that ends up, you know, and so. Um, and then it goes straight into Leave Me Alone, and see. So you see, you know, he just wants. Uh, I mean, the narrative. If I was going to guess at a narrative for those three sections, would be he's having fun making his music videos, you know, mm. and this is what he really wants to do. He just wants to make music because that's what he enjoys. He feels like a kid when he's making these music videos. The magic is still there, but when he steps into the real world, everyone just wants a piece of him. Yeah. They want his blood, his bones, his, you know, his his hair, his skin, whatever. They just want to take and take and take. And so he basically wants to run away and he wants everyone to just leave him alone. That makes a lot of sense, yeah. And it makes sense of how the the fans, if they are fans, are depicted in the Speed Demon bit. Because I, I don't know, man. I have a bee in my bonnet about pop movies that are mean to fans, and it's like it's it's beyond just the racial stereotypes of the Asian tourists. These fans are yeah. really grotesque, and I mean, the, I, I've said there's something demonic about them, and you yeah. see it in the way they're depicted. And I think that, see, one of the things that I'm very conscious of is it's nigh on impossible for anyone in the modern era, anyone now, to truly comprehend what he what he was actually going through and what his fans were really like, especially the more extreme ones. Mm. And there would have been plenty of more extreme ones. Now, um, one of the reasons why I can kind of extrapolate a little bit is because I've dealt with the Japanese industry, the Japanese idol industry in the past, yeah. Um, especially when it comes to voice acting and uh, the idols who basically go into voice acting. And I've seen what happens when you have extreme fans in that kind of bubble environment, because it is very much a bubble environment, or it mm. was for a long time. Um, and so I can kind of extrapolate. That made me, that actually helped me understand possibly a little bit of what Michael Jackson was going through, but on a much, much larger scale. Yeah. And. Possibly even the likes of Madonna and even Elvis and the Beatles. And you referenced a Hard Day's Night. Mm, and yeah. there's a certain unre unreality about that scene. But for the Beatles themselves, maybe that was reality. Yeah, 
And, you know, in a strange way, there will never be anyone who is that famous now because the market is too fragmented that if you looked at the list of the people who were, like, selling the most albums, the most singles, getting the most streams and downloads per year, they are people who, if you were in their target market, they are still bigger than Jesus. But if you're not... It's very, very easy to go through your life without ever hearing a Takashi Six Nine song. You know, easy yeah. and advisable, I would say. Yeah, I, I mean, I have no idea who this person is. Well, there you go. Yeah, point proven. Takeshi Six Nine, and I'm assuming they're not Japanese if they're having that name. They are very not Japanese. Yeah, and also. Are not black, despite continually using the N word in their apps. They do know what cultural appropriation is, don't they? But this is what drives me fucking mad that all of the newspapers go, "Oh, kids today are so censorious; they cancel everyone as soon as they do something wrong." And it's like, if that was true, we'd be rid of Takeshi Six Nine by now. You take me to this utopia. Um. Yeah, I don't want to get I, sidetracked I, into Takeshi Six Nine because there is a documentary out about him, and I don't know, man. Maybe we could do it for a Patreon exclusive someday because it's it's just a bizarre person to be big right now. Okay, I may have to examine this person. Um, I will have the rubber gloves ready. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it feels it feels like the way you describe him feels like a per- kind of person that I don't really want to touch with my bare hands. No. No, definitely not, no. But that that's the thing, isn't it? Like, the, the biggest album sales-wise in America last year was Folklore by Taylor Swift, which, first up, woo, you know, I'm very happy with that, I'm a Swifty, but I think it is pretty easy to go through the whole of 2020 without knowing what Folklore by Taylor Swift sounds like, because the market is in bits now. Yeah. I have no idea of what folklore sounds like, I will I'll be honest. And the main reason for that is because I'm not a Swifty. Exactly. Mind you, I would say I'm not on anything these days. I will li- I mean I, I listen to I listen to stuff as wide ranging as Five Seconds of Summer to some random African band that I found on you know, that I found on the internet. Yeah. That nobody knows about. Okay. Um, I will listen to stuff from Asia and Russia and Europe and all over the world, and I will listen to classical music as happily as I listen to, you know, underground hip hop from Philadelphia. Mm. And I have them all on my MP3 player, and they're all happily mashed together, sitting together, and I enjoy listening to them, you know, going from one track to another. Because why the hell not? Absolutely, yeah. But you know. Back in the late 80s, you could absolutely hate Michael Jackson and despise his music, and you would still know exactly what Smooth Criminal sounds like, because there's no escape. Yeah, Yeah, there was no escape. I mean, all we had was radio, and radio was insistent on playing the best pop music, and at the time, it was the best pop music. Mm. Madonna, Michael Jackson, however else you want to name yeah, they but Madonna and Michael Jackson were definitely the king and queen of pop at that point. Completely, they hated each. Well, I don't know if they hated each other. I remember Michael Jackson was not very keen on Madonna by all accounts. I think I think when you look at the relationship between the two, um, you have one who 
is wants to rebel against public norms and really wanted to uh, really wanted to portray herself as this you know kind of erotic sexy almost succubus like mm. succubus like you know uh creation whereas you have Michael Jackson who wanted to be Peter Pan Yes, that's the thing, isn't it? Jackson wanted to be loved. Madonna could stand the idea that she was going to release something that was controversial and some people would hate it and call her evil for it. That was part of the fun for her. Jackson absolutely wanted everyone in the world to love his music. Which is why we come back to Dirty Diana and why it also changed the mentality for him. Because Mm. um, Dirty Diana being that blend uh, and why it led to Scream and why Scream wasn't a big hit for Michael Jackson. Mm -hmm. Um, But in terms of his music, um, by that point, because he was working with his sister, he was a lot more open to people not liking the sound that he was creating. He was a lot more experimental when it came to Scream, which was an offshoot of Dirty Diana. Mm, yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, my main memory of Scream is that it has that extraordinary Mark Romanek video, which is just, I mean, in yeah. terms of music videos, that guy's the greatest there ever was, isn't he? He did that, he did the video to Hurt by yeah. Johnny Cash, he did the video to Are You Gonna Go My Way by Lenny Kravitz, Free Your Mind yeah. by On Vogue. Oh, so many great videos. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, but I, I have to admit, I, Scream is one of my uh, one of my uh, personal favorites, right. and one of the reasons for that is because it was uh, it was one of the few that actually uh, referenced Akira. Oh right, Akira has not been. Uh, Akira is one of those films where I wish modern day fans of anime would understand and appreciate the history of the medium. Um, mm. Before that, if you're going to call yourself a fan, then understand the history and the uh, you know the effort that went into creating and popularizing the medium. Yeah, and actually watch some of the classics. You know, watch some of the classics. Watch Akira, if nothing else. We're trying to like low key make this into the first episode of our new animation podcast, but. We can't run forever from the fact no. that we're about <laughs> no. to get into the plot of Moonwalk. Oh yes, the, the, the plot, the 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 the. Oh wow! Um, <laughs> oh wow! Um, um, so um, the, right. about forty so. minutes in, and. There's the scene where Jackson steps out of his door and some kids see him. Some kids, one of whom is Sean Lennon, by the way. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, they see him being apparently gunned down by gangsters. And we get this flashback uh, to him like. It's such a weird flashback. I swear to God, I don't want to talk about like the allegations that surround him later in his career, but you do look at this, and I would like to say that even if you think those allegations are complete fiction, you would think, ah, yeah, well, I see where people kind of got the idea, because it is, it is basically a romantic, soft-focus flashback 
of Michael Jackson playing with some kids who he just has no plausible relationship with. It's really weird. It's a bit like that Giles Collins yeah. article that's been going around Twitter where he talks about his romantic holiday with his three-year-old daughter. And you have... Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's very much the sort of thing that makes you make that face. Um... Uh, um, I, I I don't know what to say to this. Can we move on quick? Yes, please. Let's. <laughs> so this happens. Um, so, yeah. Uh, soft, soft focus. Michael Jackson running around with the ball, being chased by children. Um, this sounds like a weird, really weird cheese dream I had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's about to get weirder. Cause they, they go into this kind of cobwebby cave... Um, oh no! Not all of them. Not only the. Not all of them. Just Michael Jackson and the little girl. Yes. The little girl who. I remember when I watched the film the first time, mm. and I hated the little girl, <laughs> and I watch it again this time, and I really hate the little girl. She's a kid in an eighties movie. You know, nothing oh, good can come of this, in my opinion. No, no, no. It's it's not that she's a kid in an eighties movie. She is. The kid in an eighties movie. <laughs> she is the most kid kid in an eighties movie that there has ever been. The most inept, the most you know, the most useless, the most screamy. The oh, it's it's like they they basically distilled the essence of kid in an eighties movie down and put it into female form and said you can be in this Moonwalker film. <laughs> and it, uh, it was it was frustrating. I know it's Moonwalker, uh, and I know it's a strange film in its own right, and that everything is kind of turned up to eleven in terms of the the stereotypes that are in there. But still, you know, <laughs> there's this thing called the Oz factor um, that people who study uh, UFO reports use for the fact that. No one ever remembers passing into a UFO. You know, there are people who say that they've been abducted and they will remember, say, looking out of their window and seeing a bright light in the sky and they will mm. remember being on board an alien spaceship and having probes shoved up your jacksey. But they never remember actually floating or however they get into the UFO. And I have a bit of an Oz factor with this because I know that from this scene of Michael Jackson playing with kids and going into this cave, we get to a scene where Joe Pesci is boasting about wanting to give drugs to all the kids in the world. But I have no fucking idea how this happens. I do. (laughs) I know how it happens. It happens because they're basically playing. And I remember this because I remember the soft focus bit. I thought... This is a strange transition. Rob, have you been smoking anything recently? No, I haven't, good Rob. Uh, I have not touched anything. It's been a long time. This is not a weird 90s acid flashback. So, oh, okay, right. So we're not having weird fevered cheese dreams then. No, we aren't, Rob. We're not having anything of the sort. (laughs) Why are you talking to yourself, Rob? I don't know. Maybe it's because this is some weird soft focus flashback in a Michael Jackson movie. Okay, let's go with it. This so feels yeah, like a, that an was appropriate movie for the first <laughs> on-air pop screen nervous breakdown. By the way, I think that's fair enough. No, that happened when you told me about that uh, that Danish animation about the really really long penis. 
Um, <laughs> was it Danish or, or Dutch? Was, I can't remember. I think it was Danish. Yeah, John Dillerman. <laughs> yes, that happened then. And after that, it's all it, it, it's all cake. After that, <laughs> um, for people who want to know more about that, go and watch the episode of Free Jack. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> A happy memory. Because, because not only do we talk about Free Jack, we also talk about John Dillon. <laughs> How did that happen? No, well, never mind. <laughs> um, yeah, we're, that we're was one of the more bizarre transitions. We're criticising Moonwalker yeah. for just having bizarre plot elements thrown in at random, but we, our hands are not clean. But yeah, uh, it goes from there to the cobwebby bit to some spider switch which opens a door and then all of a sudden they've got stairs and stuff like that. And they go down and it just happens to be that Michael Jackson is playing with these children in an area where this secret hideout for this villainous organisation run by Joe Pesci which involves spiders, and they have spider tarantulas all over the place. Like, really? Tarantulas? They're they're not the best creature in the world to model your uh, uh, your uh, evil organization on. I know they have eight legs, and I know that most people are scared of spiders, but there are plenty of people who, you know, would look at a tarantula and go, "Yes," <laughs> you know, they would literally just flatten it. <laughs> But everything about this guy is just even even considering this is like a family movie from the nineteen eighties, and no one is going to it expecting it to be like Spike Lee's Clockers or something. But yeah, yeah, it, everything about him is so cartoonishly evil, and he is shouting about how he wants everyone in the world to know that he is the one getting their kids hooked on drugs. And I'm thinking. That's kind of a bad business plan. That's probably going to backfire. Yeah. What I love is the fact that he actually has to spell his name. And the producer of the movie, who worked with Michael Jackson, it's a play on his name. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's Frank DeLeo, it was, who was his manager at the time. And Jackson was starting yeah, yeah. to have a, a bit of a rift with Frank DeLeo, who he, he accused of, certainly with this movie, he accused of him under-promoting it and being too involved yeah. with the tabloid end of things. Um DeLeo also had some pretty nasty sort of Me Too-ish allegations levelled against him by Sheryl Crow, who was Jackson's backing singer at this point. But uh, that's a very yeah, different yeah. story. So, yeah, he, so he went up with Joe Pesci playing Frankie Lideo, which is not an uncrackable pseudonym, isn't it? We don't need Bletchley Park on this shit. Yeah, no, we don't. And, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, I thought Joe Pesci was great camping it up with the best of them, but it was Bond villain turned up to 11. No, in fact, Bond villain turned up to 13, um, <laughs> with a bit of future Doctor Evil tied in there. Yes. Um, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's a, I honestly want to know how much Mike Myers was influenced by Joe Pesci in this film when he created Doctor Evil. That, that it does have a bit of that to it, yeah. I mean, we've been talking about this as being very tame, but I will say this is the one part of the movie that the BBFC cut, you know. Mm. The, the American version has Pesci openly threatening to inject a child with heroin. Yeah. <laughs> is, is that a PG certificate moment? No, it's the sort of thing that happens in, like, Abel Ferrara films. Yeah. Um... And it's one of those... Uh, see, 
I think Moonwalker was uh, one of those films where he wanted to do something darker. He wanted to portray himself as dark, uh, as more of a darker character, mm-hmm. and I think it, it's it's a shame that the film is so fragmented and is so weird and it doesn't understand what it's trying to do and the people who involved don't understand what it's trying to do and the mm. people who are running the film don't understand what it's trying to do um and i think it's and this is one of those things they've got this evil organization and it's joe pesci and michael jackson is now on the run through the streets of this dark city this dark and misty city from all of these faceless mooks and they all have guns and you know they're all uh, and they're all chasing him and one of the things that i that i remember from the documentary about the making of moonwalker was the dogs right oh and they did a thing with the dogs where they had this insert that they put into the sides of the mouths of the dogs to make the snarl look nastier when they yeah. did the close up shot it didn't hurt the dogs it was just a little insert that went into the gums and yeah. so when the dog's going, because dogs normally go like that and pull the teeth back. But mm. this kind of widened the mouth a little bit and added more teeth. Right. And so they looked kind of nastier than normal. And you can tell at that scene where he's being chased by the dogs, you can tell clearly he's slowing down as he hit, as he comes towards the camera. And you can tell when you look at it from the demeanor of the dogs running that they're actually going, Food? <laughs> Let's play. Okay, but in, in Navasif, Robert, he is being chased by the world's worst yeah. drug dealer uh, with his angry dogs and armed henchmen. Perhaps you would like to tell the listeners how he gets out of this situation. Oh, 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 yeah. This is a, this is another bit where we have uh, the uh, kiddest kid in an 80s movie who, instead of running away from the armed henchman and instead of, uh, instead of hiding from the armed henchman, insists on running through the streets going, Michael! <laughs> when the armed henchmen are looking for Michael! That and was... I'm like... Do you realise you're just painting a target on him? <laughs> that was not the bit I expected you to pick up on. The bit I expected you to pick up on is the Oh, no, no, I was getting to that. Good. I was getting right. to that. Fine. I was getting to that. Um, getting, to, getting to the bit where he gets trapped in the dead end because Joe Pesci, for some reason, is standing in front of a dead end mm. and nobody's gone down it. And you're like... Yes. Everyone's going everywhere else. Why aren't you sending people down there? And he decides to investigate himself. And he sees Michael, and Michael runs to the dead end. And then, all of a sudden, there's a shooting star. And when you make a wish upon a star, you could become whatever you want to be. And in this case, Michael Jackson wants to be a car. Yeah. He turns (laughs) into a car. Yes. I mean, as we record... Julia DeCorno's film Titan has just won the Palme d'Or, in which, okay. by all accounts, uh, it, its lead character starts off the film getting surprisingly intimate with a Cadillac. So, I'm have... I should be making that face a lot today. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Moonwalker just brings up trivia that is even weirder than Moonwalker <laughs> for some reason. 
Okay. Um, so, um, yeah. So, okay. You know, th- this could be vindicated, is what I'm saying. There is now the highest levels of international art cinema. We respect films that anthropomorphize cars now. Okay. Um, uh, okay. Uh, yeah, I will go with that. I'll, I'll happily go with that. Um, but no, this is bonkers, isn't it? He turns into a calm, and then at the, the end of the sequence, he turns into like a massive robo Jackson. And I, I didn't, I didn't want to go there yet. Okay, I didn't want to go okay, to the robo okay. Jackson yet because we ha- we haven't got onto the best bit, right? And the best bit is the bit that no one actually noticed. And oh. I'm like, why has no one noticed this? Because when he comes out of the uh, out of the house. He's wearing a black suit with a white overcoat. Yeah. Right? And then he turns into the car. And somehow, while he turns into the car and then turns back into a human, he's now wearing a white suit. And, like, <laughs> did he stop by, stop at his house and get changed or something? Isn't he's he supposed had, to be on the run? <laughs> he had a very specific wish, which is that I want to turn into a car and also get a new cream suit. Yeah, I mean, uh, the wonderful ice cream suit, this is <laughs> this is kind of not, but also is, because it has magical powers. Yes. And, and uh, uh, that's the bit that confused me. Is it the suit that has the powers, or is it Michael Jackson that has the powers? I do not know, man. I mean... This is not rigorous fantasy world building. I think that is, that is like the gentlest thing you can say about it. I mean, we do go into probably the most iconic moment or uh, um, music video of the film, which of is, yes, you know, smooth which criminal. is, yeah, I mean, you start off with the kids going into Club 1930s and it's all filled with cobwebs and dust and, you know, uh, and then they leave and Michael comes along and, you know, the kiddest kid in an 80s movie sees Michael <laughs> changing from a car back into a human. <laughs> And then he opens the door at Club 1930s and a white light shines and all this wind blows and dust flies out. And, you know, and then he walks in and all of the people in this deserted cobweb dust-filled club, all of the people who are mysteriously there, stare at him with their eyes. And some of them are doing, like, whispered conversations. What's he doing? Why is he standing (laughs) there like an idiot? Is he actually going to make a move? What's he going to do? Does he want a drink? Has he come into the wrong place? Why is he here? We don't know this guy. <laughs> <laughs> what if he turns into a car? Exactly. And then he flicks a coin from the front door right into the jukebox, which is, you know, a hell of a a hell of a shot, you know. Yeah. Smashing. He could have been he could have been world champion. <laughs> <laughs> World tiddlywinks champion Michael Jackson. Don't get me yeah. wrong, he got a claim in his chosen career, but the World Tiddlywinks champion was always just out of reach. Just remember, we could have been anything that we wanted to be. <laughs> yes. Full circle. But yeah, um and then you launch into Smooth Criminal, which I I find it very difficult to hate Smooth Criminal. Completely, yeah. Um, I, I, I. It's not that I would say it's the best Michael Jackson song, but there are so many things in the music video to actually like, mm-hmm. and it's such an enjoyable. I would say "Smooth Criminal" is probably the best Michael Jackson music video, 
in terms of its production, in terms of the story it's telling, in terms of uh, in terms of the composition, and just in terms of Michael Jackson showing that you know there was some teeth to him. Yeah. I think the thing with the Smith Criminal video is if you generally find Michael Jackson's videos a bit too gimmicky, a bit too bloated, here is something which shows that he can do a, a good, tight, like, 45-minute music video that is good because it is beautifully choreographed. It has yep. a storyline that is woven into the music and the choreography. It yep. looks gorgeous. It's shot by, believe it or not, Frederick Elms, David Lynch's regular director of really? photography. Really? Um, so it does everything you want from a music video in just precision-moulded style. Yeah, I mean, there, there's something... Uh, I mean, This was Michael Jackson... At his coolest, right? Yeah. Um, this was Michael Jackson when you looked at him and you said, "This man is like the the coolest guy mm. in music." Um, that suit, uh, everybody in those you know nineteen thirty suits, and Michael Jackson in the in kind of the only white suit, but you know dancing around, singing around, and you know there's the bit on the walkway where he's walking along and you see like the uh, the strumpets on the walkway. Which sounds like a play from the nineteen forties. Yes. <laughs> That's strumpets good. on the walkway. Who would write the strumpets on the walkway? Noel Coward, obviously. Noel Coward, yes. <laughs> Who else is gonna write it? <laughs> So yes, um, he, and he goes past the strumpets on the walkway, and then he's in the fights with those guys, and you know he elbows the one in the back, and then turns around, and he's uh, dancing and singing to these two strumpets, and the guy comes out with a big knife, and he just pulls out the gun and shoots the guy behind him, and like yes, yeah, this is this is clearly trying to push Michael Jackson in a different direction. This music video. Completely, yeah. yes. The the whole bit with the uh, with the um, pool ball when he grabs it and then crushes it and then blows the dust into the guy's face. Um, it's showing Michael Jackson as a strong, powerful uh, character instead of the slightly more effeminate character that he's been portrayed in in other places. Mm-hmm. And that was that was still a concern as late as bad. I think the first. Mm idea for the album cover was like his face with this kind of lacy curtain mm. over it just looking out from behind that and everyone was like you look like you're in some kind of like old world brothel what the hell is this so yeah the, the picture of this on the cover of the album now was just shot in like a 15 minute break during the making of the music video but it does the job it gets it across see i would have much preferred I, I, I would have much preferred, rather than the album being called Bad, the mm. album be called Smooth Criminal, and yeah. the picture yeah. of him from Smooth Criminal be on the front, and that would have made more sense for the album as well. You're right, it's better, and it's, I mean, that is such an iconic outfit, that's the sort of thing that you would see the star of a, a classic Hollywood musical wear, isn't exactly. it, that cream suit. And I think that if that had been the case, if Michael Jackson had called the album Smooth Criminal and worn the outfit for Smooth Criminal on the cover, Mm. um, maybe Hollywood would have taken him a bit more seriously. 
I think also you wouldn't have got that thing with the early reviews where it's saying, oh, you know, are we supposed to believe that Michael Jackson is bad? You know, are we supposed to believe that he's a guy who can handle himself? Smooth Criminal has, like, the duality of it. You know, he's criminal, he's smooth. And that gets the, the appeal of the album across much better, I think. Exactly. Um, we should we should get into the music business. We're good at this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, Smooth Criminal finishes with a big shootout between Joe Pesci's uh, Mooks and Michael Jackson. Who uh, and this is after a bit in Smooth Criminal where the song ends and you have all of the people still in and it's like ah and everyone's stamping their feet and going ah. Oh, like, what's going on? <laughs> yes. Oh, like, has everyone lost their minds? What's going on? <laughs> By this point of the film, I'm asking if I've lost my mind. That happened. Mm. And then Joe Pesci's people surround the place, and Michael Jackson produces a machine gun from somewhere. <laughs> yes, let's not <laughs> explore that too deeply. No, I don't want to. No, you can't make me. <laughs> Yeah, and then he he just massacres them, doesn't he? He does, and gets uh, uh and gets forced to leave. Only to find out that the kiddest kid in an eighties movie has been kidnapped by the evil organization. Yes, because that's what happens to the kiddest kid in an eighties movie. I don't know the kid's name. I can't remember. I and I, I only I watched the movie yesterday, and I cannot remember what the children are called. I, I think one of them is called uh, Zeke. Is it? Yeah, something like that. Um, where is it? Zeke, uh, Katie, who was the kiddest kid in the 80s movie, and Sean, who was presumably Sean Lennon. <laughs> what I love is the fact that if Sean Lennon is just Sean, the fact that his name is just his name, and uh, Zeke <laughs> would be the African-American child then. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, mean... no. I mean, if it was the other way around, I would applaud them for their forward thinking. But if it's not, then oh my god, it's such an eighties film. Zeke is like I, I don't know, man. Is that kind of an African American name? Because it always makes me think of hillbillies from the eighties. Yes, Fair it is enough. definitely an African American name from the eighties. So this, I mean, there's a bit of back and forth about this, but we should round up this this smooth criminal aspect because it doesn't... I don't know to what extent you can say it comes to a satisfying end. Stuff blows up. Yeah, lots of stuff blows up. I mean, uh, what I love about the... Uh, I mean, we've, got the, we've both got the Wikipedia article open for this. Yes, we do, and... yeah. Uh, what I, what I love about this is Joe Pesci is just referred to as Mr. Big in the article, uh, and the problem is I can't look at that name without my head automatically playing. I'm the one who wants to be with you. <laughs> like, I, was thinking, I was thinking of Sex in the City, and I think if they want that Sex in the City reboot that they're doing now to work, they should recast Mr. Big as Joe Pesci with oh, the haircut yes. he has from this. Oh, movie. the the little the little uh, man bun, whatever it is. It's like oh. the, the Empire State man bun. It's like a man bun on top of a man bun that just piles up at the back of his head. I'm sorry, but Empire State man bun is a brilliant punk album. 
<laughs> yes. Yes. That's it a is. brilliant name for a punk album. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, they go to the hideout and somehow, you know, Michael Jackson is in the courtyard of the hideout and gets trapped and turns into a robot after the Kid is Kid in the 80s movie is like stepped on by Joe Pesci, which I thought, mm, that's a bit forward thinking for an 80s movie, you know, actually <laughs> stepping on the child. That's, you know, wow. I didn't expect them to go this far. I mean, they kept that in, but removed the inject them with heroin. They've got adults stepping on a child. I'm I like, don't know, man. Wow. Who wasn't dreaming of standing on that kid by this point in the film? I, I think that's the only reason it got through is because she annoyed the BBFC as much as she annoyed us. It's wish fulfillment, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Probably the BBFC are going, go on, Joe, show her what's wrong. Go on, go on, <laughs> give her a kick. <laughs> and Michael Jackson's going, leave her alone. And his scream shatters the things. And then he turns into a... It, it, it goes into this like two minute transformation of him turning into a robot. I'm like, and by like after the end of the first minute, I was like, get on with it. I've seen faster transitions in like Gundam movie, Gundam shows and Macross and stuff like that. Yes. And they have like you know, planetized robots. Why are you taking your time? <laughs> yes. So yeah, he turns into a robot and, uh, you know, while he's a robot, he's firing his rockets at people and they're firing their bullets which can't penetrate his energy shield and then all of a sudden they let uh, Joe Pesci's henchmen level up and bring out the laser weapons and I'm like well why didn't you use those in the first place yes absolutely yeah. to which yeah to which Michael Jackson responds with his own leather we- laser weapons I'm going well why didn't you use those in the first place <laughs> I think if you were trying to knit the plot of Moonwalker together into a coherent whole, you'll find that quite challenging. Well, the fact that he goes from robot to spaceship. Well, yeah, I mean, he goes from person to car to person to robot to spaceship, and it's like, I remember Transformers as a kid. I know there were some who had three modes, but... Yeah, yeah, the triple changes. I mean, Transformers the movie... He had Springer in Transformers the movie, who was, uh, I think, a car and a helicopter and a yeah. robot. Um, so, And you had Astro Train as well, which was a space shuttle and a train and a robot. I loved Springer so much because he, he just has the name of, like, a prep school kid. But all of the other Transformers are called, like, Mega Kill or something. And then you've got this one called Springer. Yeah. It's like... Why don't you just call him Niedermeyer or something and I've done with it? Oh, have you seen that? Uh, uh, just a slight uh, derailment here. But have you seen that um, YouTube thing um, about the Autobots versus Decepticons? And, uh, you know, RC uh, is chasing Megatron down and he turns around and punches her. He's like, uh, and she's on the floor. He's like, what the hell? And everyone stops. All the Decepticons and the Autobots stop. And he's like, what the hell, Megatron? You're not supposed to hit a woman. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, what, what, what? He's like, it's 2016, man. <laughs> and then uh, Megatron transitions. <laughs> okay. And then Optimus Prime is the bad guy. <laughs> I have not yeah, seen it's, that. Uh, it's, I'll, I'll share it with you. It's, it's bizarre <laughs> and twisted and kind of funny. 
Um, but anyway, back to uh, back to the other bizarre, twisted, and kind of funny thing, which is Moonwalker. Um, hmm. All of a sudden, Joe Pesci wheels out this uh, this this laser. I want to hmm. call it Doomsday Weapon. I want to call it. In my head, all I can hear is "Arm the laser, laser armed." <laughs> He wheels it out and he takes out Michael Jackson's spaceship and then decides he's going to take out the annoying kids. And at that point, I'm going, yeah, get him. Go on. Go on, Joe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but no, Michael Jackson has to get in the way. Mm, Michael Jackson and his spaceship. He has to get in the way and destroy the laser before he can take out the kid is kid in the 80s movie. If only we could have taken out the kid is kid in an 80s movie in Moonwalker, then maybe 80s movies would have been better. There would have been far less annoying kids. Yes, that is a, a treatise. That is. <laughs> I feel like I've come to the end of a sensational journey. If I'm honest, like just recapping yeah. that bit of the film. I know. Uh, we go into um, we go into this weird bit where they're led through the tunnels. I'm like, okay, I know it's Michael Jackson, and I know it's Moonwalker, and I know it's a film, but still. An adult man leading three children through creepy tunnels. Yeah. You know. Um, but anyway, it turns out to be backstage at a concert and Michael Jackson goes out and starts doing Come Together. And as we've established... Uh, well, actually, no, we didn't establish this. Uh, I set, mentioned this before we started recording. So I will establish it now. I think Michael Jackson's version of Come Together is brilliant. Oh, no, we, we did mention this on the show. And yes, it is very good. Was it? It is kind of a trip. It's been that long since the beginning, I can't remember. It, yeah, I, I know. It's kind of one of the fun things about him doing it at this point in his career when he's doing bad and it's so like funk and soul influenced is that you get to hear him yeah. do funky ad libs about the absolute nonsense lyrics that John Lennon wrote have come together. And yeah. it's just such a trip to hear him go, oh, Spinal Cracker! And it's like, what? Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is such a funky tune, and mm. it it that blend of uh, rock and pop that he um, yeah, that he worked Dirty on, Diana. you know, yeah. from Di- from Dirty Diana, it, it rears its head here, and it really works well. Yeah, really works well, yeah. and um, yeah, this is uh, this is the thing. Um, I think. Um, I mean, come together is one of those uh, one of those tracks where I would happily have it, you know, in my car playing playing the song while I'm driving and I'm singing along to it. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember that scene from Jerry Maguire where he's singing along to "Free Free Falling" by Tom Petty? Embarrassing admission, perhaps, but I've never seen Jerry Maguire. Why is it I've seen films that you, neither you or Rob have seen? Sometimes how is how is this how is this possible? I keep mentioning mentioning like these films, like sometimes really famous films, and you know uh, you and Rob keep surprising me by going, "I've never seen that one." I'm like, "Damn it!" I mean, Jebby McGuire is surprising, but when it's like some absolutely obscure Japanese animation, I feel like we're in. Yes. No, I know that. It's just when when I'm talking about something like Jerry Maguire. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> all, all, all I've got uh, just I'm like damn it I thought it was on a D I thought we were on the same level I thought, oh. 
Oh, I was just a, was my a, reference. Was my I was just not a movie goer as a kid, and there were some things from like the eighties and nineties that I never really caught up with. I hate you so much. You showing my <laughs> age there. <laughs> oh damn it! That was that was such a that was so underhanded. I've I felt the knife there. I've tried to by saying vague, by saying eighties uh, and nineties. It could be, it could be anything. Et to Graham. I know I could have been born wow. in eighty-one <laughs> or ninety-nine, and you'll never know. No, but you've got a good idea that I'm much older than him. <laughs> 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 and that is the point here. <laughs> But anyway, right. okay. <laughs> anyway, let let us wrap this up because this is a long show, man. It's a long show. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. The thing, um... the thing about Moonwalker is that on certain levels, it is or on most levels, it is absolute nonsense, and on certain other levels, I kind of like it. Yeah, I mean. The benefit of going back and watching these films, and this is one of the reasons why I, I really enjoy doing pop screen with you, is because I get to revisit a bunch of these films from my childhood that yeah. I haven't seen for years. Um, you know, we did Light of Day, and I forgot how much I did like that film. Yeah, And, yeah. you know, um, uh, and I also pleasantly forgot how much I hated Free Jack. But... Moonwalker is one of those ones where it's it's difficult not to like it for the fact that it has so much uh, so much of the music videos of Michael Jackson in it mm. and a lot of the film is just music videos and from that perspective it's difficult to not like it because Michael Jackson say what you will his music videos were among the best of that era yeah absolutely if if not the best of that era Hmm. And you know a, a montage of his music videos is worth watching. Yeah, you know it doesn't matter how you slice it. If you are into your music, especially into your eighties and nineties music, then you know it's something worth watching. The storyline, the plot beats, and stuff like that. Yeah, they didn't make sense. The inclusion of annoying children didn't make sense. Um, if they'd do you know the weird thing? If they'd just removed the children. Hmm. and had Michael Jackson as an alien creature on Earth who's being pursued by a shadowy organisation that want to capture him and experiment on him, and you did that as the plot, Moonwalker could actually work as a film. Yeah, I could see that, yeah. You know, the plot beats could actually work. Instead of having all this... Uh, all this... Because, uh, I mean, the underlying thread that we haven't mentioned is that Michael Jackson is the saviour of children against these shadowy organisations hmm. that want to destroy the children with their drugs and their video games and their whatever else, you know? Yeah, and it's there, unfortunately, even in the first musical number where it keeps cutting from him doing Man in the Mirror to, like, Mahatma Gandhi and Mother Teresa, and you, you already think, oh, yeah, this is the Michael Jackson that Jarvis Cocker invaded the stage of, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you'd at the time of Moonwalker when it came out, you didn't really read that into it because that hadn't happened. Exactly. You know, yeah. Um. And so when you look at Man in the Mirror, 
you basically look at uh, look at it in a more innocent light at that point, and you think, okay, what he's trying to say is be more like these people. Not yeah. that he's like these people. He wants us to be more like these people, and that you know, it's a more innocent message. Um, and that would have been the message at the time. And you know, I'd like to think that, um, you know, playing a little bit devil's advocate, I'd like to think that that remained the message of that song. Um, mm. for people to be more like these people that he's showing, for us all to be more like the people that he's showing, not that he wanted to be like them. Um, yeah, I might have been soured a bit on this as a just as a kind of artistic tactic, because it reminds me of those awful Apple commercials that were around when Steve Jobs were alive, where it was like, we've just made a new phone. Let's compare ourselves to Martin Luther King. How about let's fuck off? How about you do that? Yeah, I mean, uh, um, the Apple adverts, yeah, they were awful. Um, one of the things that I liked, what I truly did like about Moonwalker, Mm. was um, the fact that he went out of his way to have Lady Smith, Lady Smith Black Bambosa doing, yes. the, uh, doing the credits, the credits song. Yeah, because by this point, Michael Jackson's relationship to black music in general was something that was fueling what would later be called think pieces. Um, yeah. And, and I think on every Michael Jackson album after Thriller, there would be a song whose either the song itself or the video would be designed to give the message, you know, look, I haven't completely sold out. I'm a pop star, but I'm still a black man in America. I get that. And I think having Ladysmith Black Mambosa at the end is one of the more elegant and musically appealing ways in which yeah. he did that. Yeah. I agree. I totally agree. And I mean, it's a very simple song. Uh, the moon mm. is walking. Yeah. Um, uh, it's a very sm- simple song, but it really is catchy. Yeah, completely. Yes. Because <laughs> now that I've mentioned it, I'm sure it's in your head as well. It's in my head too. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so and yeah, um, it's just at the end of this mad big production thing. You know, suddenly yeah. you've got something as simple as people in a room singing, and that's it. And yeah, yeah, it's and, a good and thing it, to go out on. And the thing is, it's a cappella. Uh, it's catchy. It's simple, as you said. Such a great way to end it. Mm. Um, I thought that uh, as a film, yeah. Like I said, difficult to hate it, but it's it's one of those ones where. Possibly it would have been better as a documentary rather than a film. Yeah, I think when you look at that early footage going back through his career, you think, oh, this is kind of a model for how music documentaries could work. You don't have talking heads coming in saying, and when that was released, you've never heard anything like it. You can just like appreciate the music and watch these incredible visuals. And if it yeah. had continued in this vein, I genuinely think we'd be talking about it as a classic pop movie. Yeah. Absolutely, um, or even if it was, uh, or even if it was, you know, Michael Jackson, kind of talking to camera, mm-hmm. and opening up to camera, and just basically have this mashup of concert footage and music videos, with him basically just, you know, here I am, this is me, this is yeah. me, what and all kind of thing. I'm not trying to spin a story, you know. These are my trials and tribulations. This is the stuff that I face 
and being you know being more of a uh, personal documentary kind of thing. And that's I yeah, that's that what a been... pop movie kind of becomes in the twenty tens, isn't it? Where the yeah. aim is to make you think you were looking at a pop star without all this artifice and without all this baggage. But yeah, yeah, back then I don't know if you know, could you have done that. Would people have accepted this? I've got no idea. I think because it was Michael Jackson, they would have. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, he, wa- he was that big, um, mm. and because it was him. They would have. And the reason I think that is because Madonna got away with all sorts. I mean, she got away with, uh, she got away with that, uh, was it Sex? Was it that book? So, yeah, I think Michael Jackson would have got away with a more personal documentary where it's basically him and a camera. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah. Well, I hear Lady Smith Black Mambazo singing behind us, so I guess it's about time to wrap up, right? Yeah, uh, I got the name wrong. I called it Mambozo and I had the Mambazo, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, I missed that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I apologise to them for getting the name wrong. Um, but, yeah, it is time to wrap up. And uh, it's been challenging. It's it, it's It's been swell, but the swelling's gone down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Still one of my favourite lines this. from Tank Girl. Okay. <laughs> One day we'll do that. It's got Iggy Pop and iced tea in it. We can do that. Yeah, I, I, I will, I will happily do that. I, I think, I think Mick might have put his name down for it, but uh, just kick him off that and have me because I am the Tank Girl fan. <laughs> but yes, until next week when it probably won't be Tank Girl, but it probably will be good. Uh, that's been your lot from Pop Screen. Don't forget that if you've enjoyed the show, we have a Patreon exclusive episode. If you go to www.patreon.com forward slash the geek show, we put out a bonus episode every month as well as our other movie podcast, Director's Lottery, my Doctor Who reviews, monthly newsletter, outtakes, and all sorts of gubbins. But until next week when we're back with some more Pop Screen, that's been your lot for this week. I've been Graham. I've been Prob. And we'll see you next week. I had to be careful how I said that. Yeah? <laughs> I was about to say, I've been prober. <laughs>